Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Well, we did it. Louisiana, we've broken our we've broken a record today. We have now the highest average cost of a gallon of fuel in Louisiana in history. That was achieved today. Today's average $4.04 per gallon. That is opposed to yesterday. It's about a 10 cent jump from yesterday. We had $3.95 in Lafayette today. The average is $4.12. That's up 14 points, uh, 14 cents from yesterday. And across the country, we saw an 8 cent jump from 4.17 to 4.25 today. Plaquemine Parish still the highest average at $4.22 a gallon of unleaded. We've done it. We've we've gotten to this point, and We're if, supposed to clap, Joe. Yes, yes, it's it's something to cheer about. Uh, we always want high scores. I, I come from a video game generation. Always want a high score. Uh, if you did not take my advice yesterday and get gas yesterday while it was uh you know before this jump, uh, then you're like me because I didn't take my own advice. Now I've I've got to go put gas in the car today. The good news is, it looks like. Uh, some of the uh, some members of OPEC are actually going to ramp up production. Uh, the the futures on oil are act- actually started tumbling today. Uh, a, a, a barrel of oil uh, tumbled a bit from one thirty uh, per barrel to I. The last I saw was somewhere in the one tens. Maybe it did drop a, a decent percent. So you could be seeing a little bit of relief there. But as far as things go, price is still up much higher than they were a year ago or a month ago or even a few days ago. We are seeing the prices spike. 232-1542. If you want to join in the conversation, I'm not going to talk about oil and gas right now. We may come back to it later. But there are a couple of other items in the news that I think are worth mentioning. Let's start with the national. You have a report out today. From the Wall Street Journal, Saudi Arabia and the United States, the United Arab Emirates are literally at this point ghosting Joe Biden. They are not answering his calls. This this was in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. The Emiratis share Saudi concerns about the restrained U.S. response to recent missile strikes by Iran-backed Houthi militants in Yemen against the UAE and Saudi Arabia, officials said. Both governments are also concerned about the revival of the Iran nuclear deal, which doesn't address other security concerns of theirs and has entered the final stages of negotiations in recent weeks. As an aside, we are relying on China and Russia to help us negotiate the terms of this Iran deal. Big red flag there. Continuing on with the Wall Street Journal story, the White House has worked to repair relations with two key Middle Eastern countries. It needs on its side as oil prices push over 130 a barrel for the first time in almost 14 years. Saudi Arabia and UAE are the only two major oil producers that can pump millions of more barrels of oil, a capacity that, if used, could help calm crude markets at a time when American gasoline prices are at high levels. But... As he tries to reach out to these nations, they are ignoring his calls. That is 
a pretty big sign that uh, that Biden's foreign policy continues to flounder. Going on, looking at where we are right now, Jen Psaki had multiple questionable statements in the press release or uh, the press conference earlier today. Uh, you actually heard some of it on on Dan Bongino's show uh, before mine. So uh, you you heard some of these clips. You heard him mocking some of this, and it it, it truly deserved mocking. Peter Ducey of Fox News in the uh, in the in the uh, press room. Uh, asked, would cutting the red tape make it possible uh, for more drilling to happen? And Jen Psaki's response is, what red tape needs to be cut when they have permits? She has no idea what's going on or how the process works. You know, I went over it yesterday, and I want to I want to continue um, I want to continue kind of focusing on that. The, the Biden administration is trying to pull the wool over everyone's eyes here. And it's what they're doing is basically a straight-up lie. You have record high gas prices. They are an obvious political liability. And the Biden administration is choosing to, to deflect blame. They're deflecting blame to Russia, the Russian war, Putin's war. Um, they're calling the Putin price hike. And they're also blaming oil companies for not going and drilling on this land that's available. Americans are being crushed by inflation, crushed by higher prices across the board. And now we have to worry about an oil and gas spike. The Biden administration's advice is for everybody to start buying electric vehicles. Keep in mind, our power grid can't support that. And nobody can afford that right now. This is just erratic behavior from the Biden administration. 232-1542. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some state stuff. You can call in about the oil and gas stuff if you want to, but some state stuff, particularly in education, to talk about the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education meeting today, and there were some issues that were voted on that we need to talk about here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad that y'all could join us this afternoon. Be careful out there in traffic. It was it seemed a little bit worse when I was driving here today, but uh, be careful out there, uh, especially in this after-school traffic. I want to talk about the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education because two decisions came from them today. They voted on two items. The first, uh, both of these are issues that we've actually talked about here before. Uh, The first is this uh, teacher pay raise uh, proposed by John Bell Edwards. The Board of Elementary and Secondary Education, Bessie, uh, did vote to approve a funding formula that would include a $1,500 pay raise for teachers and $750 pay raise for supporting staff. This this would go into effect in the next next fiscal term, and it uh, it would benefit teachers a little bit. Uh, but it's not, it's, in my opinion, and again, I'm a teacher, I'm biased, not nearly enough. Um, it, it, when, you, when you consider 1500 a year divided by 12 months, 
you're looking at a little over $100 right there. Take out taxes, take out any deductions, uh, particularly for, for union dues or anything like that. You're looking at less than $100 a month, which is in many cases uh, two-thirds or even half of one week's grocery bill, depending on how big a teacher's family is. It's just, it's not a whole lot. And it's just... John Bell Edwards making sure that the unions that supported him get a little bit of a payoff with those dues increases because when wages go up, union members' dues go up. It's just that's how it's usually tied. So the unions will be raking in more cash because of this, but teachers really ultimately don't get a whole lot there. Teachers in the state of Louisiana should be facing more. It has been an incredibly tough last couple of years for teachers. Teacher burnout is at an all-time high. The amount of things teachers are having to do in a classroom is at an all-time high. You have teachers that are having to go without breaks, that are having to do more, not just in the classroom, but take on more responsibilities at their schools. It has been a nightmare for a lot of educators. And you're going to see another mass resignation after this school year, probably, because there are so many teachers who have just burned out on everything that they've been expected to do. The amount of bureaucratic work that teachers have to go through is just nuts. But that is where we are. It looks like uh, you know, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education is putting this into their funding formula. Now, that it goes to the legislature for a vote. The legislature can vote for or against this funding proposal, this funding formula, but they cannot amend it. It would have to, a, a new proposal would have to be sent to them from Bessie. They can't amend that formula in the legislature. Also, and this is, I think, probably the bigger issue. It's, it's one that ties in perfectly to a lot of the national education stories right now. The board voted unanimously to approve new social studies standards. Now, I, I wrote about this before, and you can go and find it uh, on, on my substack, kitchenpundit.substack.com. You can find it there. But essentially, it just totally revamps how social studies is taught in our lower and upper grade levels. In elementary school, you will find that world civilizations are broken up in third, fourth, and fifth grade. So you get uh, you get the uh, Mesopotamia, Babylon, all that stuff. Early in in third grade and fourth grade, you'll get uh, you'll get other uh, cradle civilizations, and it just kind of goes on through the world civilizations up until or through the I think through the Renaissance in fifth grade. In sixth grade, you get U.S. history. Now, as it is now, U.S. history is taught in seventh grade only from, I think, pre-Columbian to or, or through uh, Reconstruction. And what the new changes will be for middle school is instead of World Civ in 6th grade, U.S. History in 7th grade, and Louisiana History in 8th grade. Now what you're going to find throughout the state is that 6th graders are taught pre-Columbian to uh, French and Indian War. 
or through French and Indian War. In seventh grade, you have American Revolution uh, through the... I want to uh, through the through the Civil War and Reconstruction, and then eighth grade you will have from there to the modern era. From there, you all or in there you also have Louisiana history thrown in, so you're learning U.S. and state history at the same time. Those U.S. history standards are tied into the Louisiana standards, so that. As things are happening in the country, there is an emphasis on how is this affecting Louisiana during this time. Then things change slightly in high school, particularly where civics and in, in U.S. history are concerned. I believe the state is going to make civics the, the leap test for high school social studies. It was U.S. history, but more importantly, U.S. history in high school is not just going to be post-Reconstruction to the modern era. The full year is going to be full American history diving into topics a little bit more deeply than you could in middle school. These are good, solid changes for social studies here in the state. And this ties into the national education scene. A lot of what we're talking about when we talk about national education right now are parental rights and critical race theory. Critical race theory has kind of taken a sidestep right now because a lot of the focus is actually on sex and gender identity. But the critical race theory stuff is there. Ensuring that you are focusing, you're giving more attention to U.S. history in middle school and in high school, you avoid a lot of what critics on both sides say about critical race theory and how one side says we want to whitewash American history and the other side says we want to make, uh, we want to, to uh, heavily emphasize how horrible and racist America was. By expanding how much you're actually learning about U.S. history in the classroom, what you're doing is you're opening all the doors for students to see the good, the bad, and the ugly in U.S. history. And there are good things, several good things in U.S. history. There are some things that were bad in U.S. history, and there's some really ugly things in U.S. history, and we can't shy away from that. And nobody really wants to shy away from that. That's the thing. But the anti-critical race theory movement really has kind of a backdoor victory here. This is a better emphasis on U.S. history and U.S. history standards. You can't say that a state like Louisiana is trying to whitewash everything when we're giving so much time to U.S. history that you can't avoid some of those negatives. The other problem, though, as far as the national, the critical race theory stuff and everything like that goes, is that it's not just history. This is a good revamp for history and social studies in the state of Louisiana. But what you also have problems with, and we're not seeing this sneak into Louisiana right now, but what you are seeing, what you are finding accusations of from activists across the country, is that they're trying to push English to be more super woke. You're trying to find math and make it super woke. I don't know exactly how you get super woke math, but that is an actual idea theory that's out there in education. Same with science, same with the other content areas. There are people trying to push more of that into the other core areas. In history, we are taught all the things that pro-CRT activists say we're 
trying to whitewash over, we're trying to ignore. But what you have, what you need to watch out for, and again, we're not seeing it here, and I've been paying attention, I've been looking at in our district and throughout the state, I've been looking for anything that can potentially be seen as that super woke push in other content areas. And that gets me to Florida. Florida is making waves right now, not with critical race theory, but with LGBTQ activists. And this this talk about Florida's don't say gay bill, that's what you hear all of the media reports on. The only problem with all of these reports is that no such bill exists. There is no bill called the Don't Say Gay Bill. You may not know that if you were only paying attention to the headlines in in the mainstream media. But there is no Don't Say Gay Bill. And there is no bill that states that you cannot use the word gay in Florida schools. Florida's bill simply says you cannot teach about sexual identity, sexual orientation, and sexuality to kindergartners through third grade, which seems to me like a super, super reasonable proposal. 232-1542, if you want to take part in the conversation, a little bit more on that when we get back from the break here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Y'all, I, I'm sorry. I wanted to go into this bit uh, from Axios, and now I can't because right as I pull up the story that I want to call from, uh, it appears that Axios has gone down, so I cannot go into the rant that I wanted to go to. But anyway, Florida's got this don't say gay bill. That's what the media's been calling it. The, the, the media has done a very good job of picking up the left's talking points here. Nowhere in the bill does it say don't say gay, that it's illegal to say gay. The bill isn't even called that. The bill is a parental rights act. And what the bill seeks to do is prevent schools or prevent you know, prevent schools that teach kindergarten through third graders anything about sexual identity, sexual orientation, uh, sexuality in general, because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but those kids are five to eight years old and are far too young to have any of those ideas put into their heads. They have no idea what any of it even means. But that's where we are. The left is screaming and saying that this is an affront to the LGBT community, which it's not. It doesn't say the word gay or homosexual anywhere in the bill. All it is asking for is that schools not do this. Now, the one questionable part of this is, I say question, one thing that, one genuine concern that some folks have brought up that I, I, I would kind of look at is, uh, Get, is the kind of free reign it gives to lawsuits against schools by parents uh, that feel that something like this has been given to their child, this kind of instruction given to their child. Uh, it's very, I believe the wording is very vague and open-ended, and it could actually create just another lawsuit trap. But in general, the bill is attacking those who want to try to indoctrinate kids in sexual wokeness in kindergarten through third grade. If you, if there's a teacher out there that wants to indoctrinate kids and wants to teach them all this stuff, that teacher really needs to be evaluated because that's just not right. 
Those kids have no idea. It, it's, it's, the content is far too inappropriate for kids that age, and those kids really have no idea what any of that stuff means. But the online left has been so vocal about this bill, and they've been going after Disney constantly for remaining silent on it because Disney has a huge presence in Florida, that Disney actually had to come out today and say that they, ha- they oppose the bill and that they're going to meet with Ron DeSantis about it. And there's some folks on the right who are wringing their hands. Oh, what, you know, uh, you know, this is, you know, Ron DeSantis has a tough choice. This is, you know, this is, could make or break him. No. Back when Georgia passed its voting, its, its voting bill uh, that tightened up voting security in the state, it was attacked as a, a bill that would suppress the vote by the left. Delta which is which has a huge presence in Georgia because of the Atlanta airport, came out afterward and said that they had a lot of concerns and they were going to meet with the governor about it. And, and they, they went through this whole song and dance about the, how the bill was problematic and everything. And you know what happened? Nothing. There was a phone call with Governor Brian Kemp, I think, and that was it. Nothing happened. Nothing's going to happen between Disney and Republicans in Florida. The left is attacking Disney for donating money to Republicans in Florida, but Republicans are pro-business and want a company like Disney to be in the state. Disney is not funding the Republican Party in Florida like some activists are claiming. And Disney is going to have a phone, the the CEO of Disney will have a phone call with uh, Ron DeSantis and some words will be exchanged. And Ron DeSantis will probably invite them to actually read the bill and see that nothing that the left is saying about the bill is true. And that'll be it. And Disney will do nothing and we will move on from the issue. But these social issues, the LGBT stuff, abortion, the left is throwing that out there. They, they want to attack on these things because nothing policy-wise they have is currently making any sort of dent in the in the poll numbers it is incredible and this goes to something else this is what i wanted to bring up from axios and and it's the story's not pulling up so i'm having to work from memory here and i'm sorry i did jot down some notes but there's a poll out and oh wait it loaded hallelujah there were three stats that Axios is pointing out from, I think it's a Gallup poll. The first stat, 75% of people in the U.S. never tweet. They don't go to Twitter. They might scroll through Twitter and look at things, like look at stories, look at entertainment stuff, look at cultural stuff they like, but they don't tweet and they don't get involved with a whole lot of the political discussion online. 70% of people in the U.S. And yet Disney is responding to that very loud vocal presence of the left on social media. Politicians, left and right, take to social media and use opinions from social media to guide what they say publicly. On an average weeknight in January, just 1% of U.S. adults watch primetime Fox News and 0.5% tune into MSNBC. 
Nearly three times more Americans donated to charities during the pandemic than typically give money to politicians and parties. As polarized as Americans seem to be, the independents who are somewhere from the middle and typically swing from left to to right depending on the political temperature, the issues, or not even the political temperature, just the, the temperature of the room in the you know, as you know we exist day to day in in our in our country. Twenty nine percent of Americans identified as Democrats, twenty seven percent as Republicans, and forty two percent identified as independents. What's more, that number is up. The number of independents is sharply increasing while the number of Democrats and Republicans are sharply decreasing. So as negative and as polarized as everything seems, if you look at the actual data, most people really don't take part in a whole lot of that politicization. Uh, that that political polarization, that political negativity, and I've been I've been saying this for a while, not just here, but in my writing at Red State and coming you know onto the air here for years. We focus a lot on that division and never really pay attention to just how little that actually impacts our daily lives. The stuff that happens in Washington, D.C. is stuff that gets highly covered and highly criticized in the media, but rarely trickles down to actually affect you. What does affect us are bad policies like energy policy here in the United States. But for the most part, the the typical Democrat versus Republican fight, what one politician said, what another politician said, what they said on the floor I mean, we've all forgotten the State of the Union address by now. COVID's no longer a thing we're worrying about. We've moved on in our lives. All of that stuff is far away from us. We focus on the stuff that's near and dear to us, which is why the Democrats are failing right now. Everything near and dear to us is affecting our pocketbook. And that is what's causing the Democrats to be in a slump going into the midterm elections. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. When we come back, more on that as well as your calls. If you want to take part here on the show, The Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232-1542, this is The Joe Cunningham Show. Joe in with you in our last segment today. Drag queen who says Biden is a senile white supremacist scheduled, scheduled to perform at Democrat retreat. This is at the Washington Free Beacon. The drag queen invited to perform for congressional Democrats during their policy retreat referred to President Joe Biden as senile and a white supremacist while calling his voters dim-witted. Lady Bunny, an iconic drag queen scheduled to perform Wednesday uh, during the Democratic retreat in Philadelphia, has spent much of the last year criticizing virtually every aspect of Biden's agenda and some congressional Democrats as well. On February 19th, for example, Lady Bunny said Biden's word, especially on foreign policy, is worth nothing. On April 26, 2021, Bunny called Biden a, quote, senile conservative, unquote, who had been accused by eight women of sexual misconduct. Only someone in a, quote, cult would bother supporting him. 
Bunny wrote. Maybe the dim-witted or well-off boomers who voted for Biden will see who he is after he privatizes Medicare and cuts their Social Security. She's scheduled to perform on the opening night of Democratic Party's self-described issues conference. Other schedules, scheduled events include out, understanding the challenges of the she session and cocktails, canvases, and connections where Democratic lawmakers can explore your artistic side by painting a one-of-a-kind masterpiece on canvas while you enjoy some refreshments. We have reached the point where even the drag queens are dragging the Democrats ahead of the midterms. This is truly a miraculous time. 232-1542, if you want to take part in that or any other conversation today. It is, it's funny. It really is, to be serious, to be serious, although I say it's funny. The Democrats have been so on board with expanding these social issues that they are, in, they are, they're inviting drag queens to a policy retreat to perform for them. My question is, who is planning these events, and what Democrats are actually, what 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 are some of these Democrats actually thinking with these performances? Because you know. The Democratic Party in Congress, or just Congress in general, but including the Democrats, older and white. And it doesn't matter how woke they claim to be. They're here for a policy retreat. They're here to talk about issues. And somebody thought that a great piece of entertainment to break up the monotony of talking about policy would be to have a drag show. What is on the mind of whoever is planning these events? I've been to a lot of staff retreats over the years in in several different categories. Never once have I been in any sort of staff retreat or any sort of gathering where a group of people I was with really lamented the fact that there was not more diversity in terms of the entertainment and that we needed to have a drag show in the middle of it. I don't know how you take anything seriously knowing that a drag queen named Lady Bunny is going to come and perform for the group I'm with. And what's more, I want to know what staffers in Congress were trying to come up with the agenda for this and said, hey, Let's have a drag show and let's get all the congressmen and senators drunk and painting as a way to break up this issues talk. I have come to the conclusion, and it's not really a new conclusion, it's just kind of a reaffirmed conclusion, that the Democratic Party does not wish to be taken seriously right now. They held a vote the other day. They held a vote. On the day of the State of the Union, they held a vote in the Senate to pass the most extreme pro-abortion bill they could possibly pass. And all but one Democratic senator voted for it to allow abortion up to the point that the child fully exits the birth canal. 
the most extreme pro-abortion bill they could pass. They are focusing on all of the super woke LGBT stuff right now. They have been focused on making abortion their key issue, one of their key issues. They want to make sure that everyone knows that January 6, 2021 is some awful insurrection that is a stain on American history and that we should continue talking about and continue making Trump the basis of our conversation, of our national conversation, because that's how they'll win voters. And I bring that part up because Project Veritas today has dropped a report. They have, dis- they have gotten New York Times national security reporter Matthew Rosenberg in an undercover video contradicting his own reporting. He admits that he and his colleagues have exaggerated the dangers on January 6th, including the quote, dude, come on, you are not in any danger. From the Project Veritas write-up, Rosenberg, who covers national security matters for the Times, says on the undercover video that there were, quote, a ton of FBI informants among the people who attacked the Capitol. This revelation is a break from Rosenberg's reporting on the matter where he characterized such a notion of FBI informants in the crowd as a reimagining of January 6th. This was not the only time Rosenberg's commentary to Project Veritas's undercover reporter directly contradicted his own published words. Despite telling a Veritas journalist that January 6th was no big deal, his article says that downplaying the events of that day was the next big lie. Sound bites of Rosenberg published Tuesday show him saying, it's not a big deal as, a, as they are making it because they are making it too big a deal. They were making this an organized thing that it wasn't. January 6, 2021 was, it was pretty bad. What happened there, the behavior of those that were legitimately there was bad. But the bigger issue is that the media has been playing it up or has tried playing it up. It's not getting any sort of play, even in the media at this point. But they've been playing it up. The Democrats have wanted to play it up. They've wanted to make Trump one of their central issues. And it's not working. They tried to do that against Glenn Youngkin in Virginia back in November, and voters did not respond to it at all. Even in North Virginia, Northern Virginia, which is a Democratic stronghold where a lot of federal workers live, making the election about Trump did not work there. They want to make the midterms about Trump. They want to make the midterms about abortion. They want to make the midterms about LGBTQ issues because none of the other issues actually can be solved with Democratic ideas. And that'll do it for today. We've got 23 hours on break, and then we'll be back right here tomorrow on The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.